Well, good morning, Georgetown Christian. Good morning. Good to see you all here today. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be using three basic scriptures today, John 3.16, Luke 9.23, and then also in Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 5, starting at verse 27. Before the service started today, Chris Tanner told me I was making him look bad by dressing this way. Well, Chris, you got the best beard, man, in, in the church, so, you know, you got me beat on that, so, all right, I can't grow a beard like that. Well, I could, but it's all white, and I don't want to grow one, make it look all, make me look older than I already am. But the title of the sermon today is Define Our Relationship with God, Define Our Relationship with God. When I met my wife, Mary, when we started dating, she was a widow who had three small boys. And we dated for about six months before I discovered, or she would let me know where she lived. (laughs) We actually would meet at restaurants and have a meal, and this was before the internet, so I couldn't look up and find out where she lived. And so finally I said to her, I said, why won't you let me know where you live and why can't I meet your sons? And she said, I want to make sure you're not some type of psycho. (laughs) I guess you discovered I really am, you know, but you don't make sure you're not some type of psycho. And also I have to protect my boys. I'm not just going to let some man come in into their lives and come in and out because Her husband had died of cancer, and so she wanted to make sure our relationship was secure before I met the boys. So after about six months, I guess I proved I was not a psycho, and she invited me to her home for Easter Sunday to meet the boys. And so I took each of them an Easter basket. They loved that. And after church... After we had a meal, we sat around, we played games. And Mary told me later on, she said, the boy said the following, Mom, we thought he was coming here to see you, but he spent time with us. That's how I defined the relationship, to make sure that not only did I love Mary, but I loved her son's too. And you can see we've changed a little bit through the years. It's been 25 years uh, since we've been married, and uh, it's been a great experience in my life, and I think she would say the same for her. But she defined this relationship of the expectations, to treat her with love and respect and the boys with love and respect. How would you define your relationship with Jesus? What do you think Jesus is asking us to do? What does it mean to follow him and develop that relationship? Oftentimes you hear people say, well, I've got religion or it's all about religion. No, it's not about religion. It's about having a relationship with God. So typically when I ask somebody, what does relationship with God look like to you? They would oftentimes quote, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, right? God has laid out some things here for us in this scripture. He tells us that he loves us so much that he sent Jesus, his only son, to die on the cross for us, that if we believe in him, we receive a gift. And that gift is eternal life. Just as I took the boys a Easter basket on Easter Sunday and gave them a gift, it wasn't about the Easter basket. It was about that relationship and developing that with the boys. The same thing is true about Jesus. It's not only the fact that he gave his life for you and he loves you so much, but he wants you to accept him and develop that relationship with him also. Who would not want to be loved by God? Who would not want to experience eternal life? You talk about defying a relationship when God sent Jesus into the world to die for our sins. How much love he has for each and every one of us. When I was a boy, when I would go and turn on the TV set to watch the Super Bowl or the World Series, you always saw this guy with the rainbow hair holding up this sign, John 3.16. His name was Roland Stewart. And the guy was always at every major sporting event. You saw that all the time. Always holding that John 3.16 sign up. You ever see somebody at a ball game hold up a sign that says Luke 9.23? You don't see that one at a ball game because that scripture talks about we got to do some things to ourselves in order to take up our cross. Luke 9.23 says, if anyone, that means you, me, anybody, if anyone would come after me, that's talking about Jesus, he must deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me. Americans have words like indulge and it's all about me. We don't like the word denial, do we? Not at all. Because the denial part means sacrifice. It means that we have to do something in order to improve ourselves. And oftentimes denial is not in our vocabulary. I was reading this week that the, the favorite food at state fairs and festivals is a cheeseburger with bacon on it, chocolate sauce slapped between two glazed donuts. Now that does not sound like denial to me. That sounds like indulgence to me. But we as Americans, we don't like to deny ourselves anything. Recently, I had a conversation with a young lady, and we were talking about the, the gun violence in the United States. So I asked her what she thought the answer was to uh, helping with this issue. And she said, I think we need to make gun laws more stringent, more severe than what they already are. What do you think, Aaron? I said, I think you're wrong. 
And she said, why? I said, Chicago has the toughest gun laws in the nation. It's like a killing field up there. They're constantly shooting people every day. Well, what do you think the answer is then, Aaron? The answer is this, to bring more people to Jesus. Because if people's hearts and minds are changed through the power of the Holy Spirit, then maybe they won't be bent on violence, but on loving their neighbor and loving God and making Him first in their life instead of taking out their aggression and anger on somebody else. Then I said to her, what do you think about that? And she said, I will take a hard pass on Jesus. And I said, what do you mean by that? This is what she said. This blew me away. She said, unless God believes like I do, then I'd want nothing to do with God. That tells you exactly what's wrong with our society today. When someone comes out and says that God has to meet my standards, I don't have to meet God's standards. I need to be able to do whatever I want, anytime I want. In essence, I become my own little God. Look what the Bible says about this in Romans 1, verses 21 and 22. Now, this lady I was talking to definitely did not want to deny herself anything. She definitely thought that she had all the answers. We just create more laws. But look what the Bible says here in Romans 1, 21 and 22. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. So they know about God. They have this idea about God, but they're not going to thank Him. They're not going to take the John 3.16, and they're not going to take the Luke 9.23, because they think they got all the answers. But God says when we think like that, our hearts become darkened unto sin, and we think we know it all, but the Bible calls us a fool. Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Would you rather be a fool or a follower of God? That's the question today. Do you ever pick and choose what you want to believe in the Bible? You treat the Bible like a buffet line? I'm going to have some of the forgiveness over here, but I don't want any of the sacrifice. That's too much. I want people to forgive me but I'm going to hold on to this grudge because of of what they did to me. They don't deserve my forgiveness. But God needs to forgive me. Now, I know what God says about marriage and how marriage is defined in the Bible, but I'm going to rather listen to Oprah and what society says that marriage should be. Not a buffet line, folks. You've got to accept the Word of God as it's put out there. You ever blame God for the circumstances in your life? 
You ever think to yourself, it's God's fault that I'm in this situation that I'm in. He sure hasn't blessed me enough. It's, it's all because of him that I'm in this predicament. What about your own life choices? What about your daily decisions that you make? Are you denying yourself and taking up your cross daily and following him? Or are you more in line with, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. It makes me feel good. And sometimes people say, well, you know, I actually do believe in God, Aaron. I, I mean, I believe in John 3, 16. I, I'm doing that. And why isn't my life like pie in the sky? Why am I not wealthy? Why am I not healthy? Why am I not having all these great things that I see other people around me have? Well, there's more than just believing in God. The Bible says in James 2, 19, you believe there's one God. That's outstanding. Well, even the demons believe in God, but they don't follow Him. There's more than belief. We have to marry those two together. We have to marry John 3.16 and Luke, Luke 9.23 together because there is no believing without following. And what does it cost you to follow God? What's it going to cost you? It should cost you everything. The worship team got up here today, and all, a lot of their songs were singing about Lord and Lord of my life and all these great things. In the New Testament, the word Lord, when Jesus is called Lord, the Greek word of the New Testament is kurios. And kurios means Master. That Jesus is to be the master of your life. That's what it's talking about. And then when it describes a follower of Jesus in the New Testament, it uses the Greek word doulos. And doulos means slave. So we, as a follower of God, we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow Him. That means we are to become a slave to Jesus, and He is to be the master of our life. If I was to put on social media that I'm a slave to God, what do you think people would think? If I wrote a letter to the editor of the Courier Journal and I said, we all should be slaves to God, what kind of reaction you think I would get. You see, oftentimes we don't want to make Jesus master. We want to make him the second mate or the buck private or the corporal or pull him out whenever we need him. But to make him master, uh, that's just asking too much, Aaron. What are you talking about? But if we're a Christian, we're to be all in for God. Churches today sometimes have these slogans and things that say things like, whatever you want, have it your way. Anything goes here, just come on in. We're going to love everybody, but we're not going to preach the Word. It's all love fest. Everybody love on one another, make everybody feel good, slap each other on the back, but we're not going to challenge you. We're not going to make your faith grow. We're just going to tell you it's all about love. That's not scriptural. 
Jesus says, if you deny yourself and accept me as master of your life, I will forgive you of your sins, but you're not going to have a carefree life. Jesus says in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. So if you claim that title of Christian, there's going to be individuals who do not understand you, who do not like you, who will despise you, who may end up hating you. It might even be people in your own family, the people you work with, the people you go to school with. They do not understand you because you are different. You don't gossip about your neighbor. You don't tell dirty jokes at work. You don't cuss like one of the guys. That guy, weird. He don't even participate in our dirty jokes. He won't look at our dirty magazines. What's wrong with this guy? The world will hate you because of your faith in Jesus. 1 Peter 2.21 says, God has called you to do good, even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you. Jesus is your example, and you must follow in his footsteps. So Peter is telling us, as a Christian, yes, we need to do good, but with that goodness comes what? Comes suffering. Because why? We are modeling our lives after Jesus. Did Jesus suffer here on earth? Absolutely. Was he ridiculed? Absolutely. Jesus was told that he was the prince of demons. His own family rejected him. He had individuals in his own circle. Judas Iscariot betrayed him. You don't think anything bad's going to happen to us because we are a Christian? When we talk about this denial, we could say our slogan for being a Christian is called come and die. Boy, that sounds catchy, doesn't it? I'm going to put that on my business. Come and die. I'd be good if I'm a funeral director, but, you know, anything else might be kind of curious, right? But come and die to self. That's what God's calling us to do. And he extends this invitation. He says, if anyone, that means anyone, you, me, whatever. And people think to themselves, well, I can never be on Team Jesus because of my past. I've just got too many stains, too many skeletons in the closet, too many wrong things I've done. Surely Jesus would not accept me for what I've been through, what I've done in my life, and all the things connected to it. But that sin does not disqualify you, does not get you cut from Team Jesus. In fact, Jesus is saying, come, i got an invitation for you. I want you on my team. When I was a boy... I was about seven years old, and we had moved to Scenic Valley Road in Floyd Knobs, Indiana. And one of my favorite desserts was chocolate cake with white icing. And I'm the oldest of four children. There was four kids in five years. I guess my parents couldn't figure out what was going on with that. But four in five years. I think it a long time to enjoy being the oldest. And mom had made this cake, chocolate cake with white icing. We all got a piece at dinner time, and you know, we had to take baths and get ready to go to bed. And in the middle of the night, I was thinking, man, I want a piece of that cake. So I got up in the middle of the night, went into the kitchen, and I wasn't tall enough to reach the plates. 
uh, on top of the uh, counters, and I knew I wouldn't get, shouldn't get on the counters. I might slip and fall, and somebody might hear that. And I was told I shouldn't mess with knives, so I didn't want to do that either. So I did what any typical seven-year-old boy did. I just dug out a piece with my hands. And I, and I put it in my mouth, and I was eating it, and I got back to my bedroom, and I had this chocolate all over my mouth, all over my pajamas. It was on my hands, and so I just did what any typical seven-year-old. I just wiped it on my sheets, and I pulled the sheets back. And I thought, nobody's going to discover what happened here. Well, the next day, my parents woke up and saw the crumb trail, started following it, and it led right to my bedroom. And they said, did you get into the cake last night? I acted like Ralphie from the, the movie Christmas Story when Flick was stuck to the flagpole. Flick, Flick, who's Flick? You know, cake, cake, what are you talking about here? And the evidence was all over me. The stain was right there. All of us are hiding some type of stain in our life. And we think if we pull the sheets back, nobody will discover. If we think we throw it under something, nobody will see it. But that crumb trail of sin leads right to our door. When we look at the disciples of Jesus, we discover Matthew. Matthew actually means gift of Yahweh or gift of God. And before he was known as Matthew, he had another name. He was known as Levi. To be given the name Levi tells me something about the man. He, he probably was, his family was part probably of the Levite tribe. Probably were Levites who served in the temple. And probably his parents had set him aside to say, you know what, you're going to be a priest one day. You're going to serve God. You are set aside for something important and something special. God's going to place his hand on you. And we all have those children in our lives or those family members who rebel, don't they? They rebel against God. And we discover Levi in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, starting at verse 27. He was not serving God in the temple. No, Levi was working as a tax collector. For the Roman government. Now here's the thing. To be a Jew working for the hated Roman government during this time and to be a tax collector was considered to be the lowest of the low because tax collectors not only taxed, received taxes for Rome and gave it to the Roman government, but they usually charged exorbitant rates and skimmed some off the top so they could become wealthy themselves. And so Levi here is probably a, a pretty wealthy man, doing pretty well for himself. And I'm sure by this time in his life, he had been rejected by God. At least he thought that in his own mind. He certainly had probably been rejected by his family and friends. And I'm sure there was times in his life when he sat all alone and he thought to himself, how did I get like this? What's going on in my life? Why did I end up in this situation? You ever felt like that yourself? In your own life, you look at yourself and you think, 
How did I ever get here? Man, what decisions led to this? Can God really forgive me? Can God really love me? Man, what am I going to do about this? It's interesting when we read about the encounter with Jesus, with Levi, Jesus saw something in him. And he uses two words. He says, follow me. Follow me. That's what he said to him. And what's interesting when we read this account in Luke 5, in verse 27, look what happens here in 28. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And notice what Levi did. And Levi got up. He left everything and followed him. Did Levi make him the master of his own life? I'd say yes, because he left it all behind, his wealth, his job, his status in the Roman society, whatever you want to call it. He said, yep, I'm heading out. In the days of Jesus, a rabbi, if they called somebody to follow them, they actually made you go through a test. A rabbi would go up to somebody and say, all right, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, I want you to recite for me the entire book of Genesis from heart. Go. What? We would think today, but yeah. The rabbi would extend that invitation. Somebody would have to do that. Or they might ask them a random question and say, it says in Exodus 20 verse 5, what does that mean? What is that? Quote that for me. You see, a rabbi during Jesus' day, the more intelligent your followers were, the more status the rabbi received. So a rabbi could say, look at all my followers over here. Man, they can recite the Torah from scratch. This guy's intelligent. Give him any passage. He can quote it for you. Tell you what it means. All that good stuff. A rabbi in Jesus' day did the rejecting. But Jesus was totally different. Jesus went up to people and said, hey, follow me. And a tax collector? You're going to follow this rabbi, this guy who's our arch enemy, this guy who's the lowest of the low? Rabbi Jesus is extending this invitation to him? For you and I, to follow a rabbi during Jesus' day would be easier for all of us to get into Harvard than it would to be able to follow a rabbi. Think about that. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? But Jesus here extends this invitation to the tax collector. Let's look at the rest of this verse in Luke 5, starting at verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." 
Sometimes churches have the same attitude as the Pharisees and Sadducees during the days of Jesus. We want to set up these things that say, you're in or you're out. We'll say, you got an addiction issue? And man, we don't need that here. You know, hit the road. You've been divorced? <laughs> Come on. You know, you can't serve here. Go on down the road. Your kids are rowdy. They're throwing a fit all the time. I don't need that headache. Woo! We want kids who walk the straight and narrow here, hit the road. Oh, you're black? You're Asian? You're Indian? You're not white? Well, hit the road. Jesus says, anyone, if anyone would take up their cross and deny themselves and follow me, that's what it's all about. People today probably do not realize that Levi here in Luke's gospel was actually Matthew who wrote the very first gospel in the New Testament and had that name change. If you want to read about his account, turn to Matthew 9 and verse 9 and that exchange there between Jesus about Matthew following him who was actually Levi. God views you as a gift, and He wants to change you through the power of His Holy Spirit. He doesn't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. He doesn't care if you're an ex-con or a current con. He doesn't care if you don't have your life together or you actually think you do have your life all together. The invitation is for all of us. And when Jesus says to us, follow me, some of us do this. We go, is he talking to me? Does, does he know my past? D does he understand where I have came from? Yes, he does. He understands your past. The Bible describes David, King David in the Old Testament, as a man after God's own heart. But David committed some grievous sins. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, then intentionally had Bathsheba's husband Uriah sent to the front line of a battle and all the troops left him so he would be killed. And when Nathan the prophet came to David and told him about his sin, David knew he had to make it right with God. And so we have this great psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 51. In one of the lines in there, Psalm 51, 7, David says, God, if you will wash me, if you will wash away my sin, wash away this stain, I will be whiter than snow. The same is true for us today. Whatever stains you have in your life, whatever separates you from God, the Bible tells us the blood of Jesus will wash it away. So today, the invitation is not only for you to believe in Jesus, but to take up that cross daily, deny yourself, and follow him. Let's pray. 
Lord, I pray if there be one here today who does not know you as Lord and Savior of their life, to make that the master of their life, that they would stay after church is over and talk to somebody about giving their life to you. We also pray, Lord, as we go through this week, that we have opportunity to praise your name, to tell others about you, that we would be bold in our faith. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.